Welcome to Influencer Business, where influencers get help with the hard stuff. Think of us as your business bible. We're a team of influencers and entrepreneurs dedicated to bringing professional resources and infrastructure to our community. I'm Rich Gudelari, CEO of Trove. I'm an entrepreneur focused on helping influencers run and grow their businesses with the resources and information they need. I host this podcast as well as a live webinar called Office Hours, which takes place every Wednesday. Here, I dig deeper into each weekly topic and answer all of your most pressing questions. Our weekly podcast features guests from across the professional landscape, sharing their experiences and advice and answering questions from the Trove community, which you can submit on our website at www.trovebusiness.com. Welcome back to Influencer Business. I'm your host, Rich Gudelari. Thanks for joining us this week. Amazing episode, amazing guests lined up for you. We're being joined by Risa Lake, a partner at Digital Brand Architects DBA, one of the leading influencer agencies. They represent influencers and talent of all different types. They are on the cutting edge of what's happening in the influencer industry. And Risa joined the company nine years ago and has worked in every single imaginable position at DBA. So she has a really wonderful view of the landscape, how it's evolved and where it's going. But before we get to our conversation with Risa, please take two seconds, leave us that five-star rating, give us that glowing review. It really helps us here out at Trove and helps us grow the podcast. And we really appreciate it. With that out of the way, let's get to our conversation with Risa. Risa, thanks so much for joining us today on Influencer Business. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So before we dive into specifics, can you tell us a little bit about like uh, how you came to this point? Because You've worked in almost every capacity at TBA, and even before that, you were in PR. Yeah, it's definitely been a wild ride. I started off my career in public relations, working in-house for a fashion designer. Then I went to the 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 agency the agency world, had my hell on earth moment where I had a job that I hated for six months and cried every day. Um, and then that actually really got me kind of my dream job in the in the agency world, working for Paul Wilmot Communications, where I was developing PR strategies for brands like Gwen Stefani's Lamb brand and dressing celebrities for red carpet and going to every event and kind of living that, you know, young 20-something-year-old in, in New York. Right, that, um, that, that kind of life you see in the movies, right? Really, I'd go out on, you know, at the time, Fashion's Night Out, or during fashion week with a stack of invites. It was an amazing time to be in New York and kind of like the height of this, you know, glossy fashion world. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, and then you made the transition, right, to DB. I mean, you had your dream job. What made you... I shift. saw a huge shift in PR and it was mm -hmm. when the, the market had crashed and publishing as a whole had really shifted and changed. And I was really challenged with getting placements for my clients in magazines as the magazines were shuttering and as the placements were becoming slimmer and more advertisers were able to secure those placements and my clients weren't advertising. And I found a real challenge to at the end of the day be able to fill up this report. So I started to kind of do some research on at the time what was blog and bloggers. <laughs> yeah. And it was very different because it was much more so about these like media sites who were taking and, you know, rewriting press releases and using stock images and putting them on what a blog was. There were, you know, I don't think we really even had any data or metrics behind how many people were actually reading those blogs. <laughs> um, but I would talk my clients into, you know, doing a giveaway and, you know, give away a backpack on this blog. And um, it's when I first started to really kind of understand that there was this opportunity 
opportunity within digital. Um, I think I probably did my first Twitter party when I Whoa, when I was there. Wow. Um, you know, for a beauty brand and and getting the community to kind of talk on Twitter at the and time. Remind us what a Twitter party is because we don't have those anymore, really, do we? So, no, I don't even. <laughs> no, I couldn't tell you the last time I did a Twitter party. You know, when you go on Instagram now and you see that live Q and A happening, oh. um, that was essentially happening on Twitter. So a okay. brand would sponsor a Twitter party. There'd be this script. Um, the influencer would lead the script and then, you know, people would tweet in, they would respond to the tweet. So very much the way that we're seeing the communication of Q&A happening on Instagram or IG, you know, TV and live, that was happening on Twitter. Interesting. At the time, there was no Instagram and Facebook was still locked on our computers. So um, I saw a really great opportunity to, you know, try and build out opportunities with these, you know, bloggers. Um, At at the time, they were were not invited to fashion shows or to press previews. I I remember Oscar de la Renta was a client and they were the first designer during Fashion Week to add two seats for a couple of bloggers to attend a fashion show. And it was like... Like a huge feat that we were able to to accomplish that. Yeah, they were they were early in the kind of embracing social media with Oscar PR girl. Yeah, obviously being kind of a big moment, if you will, in that era. Yeah, Don, um, Donna Karen was a client, and Elisa mm. Licht, who was the voice and the face, well, I guess the 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 character yeah. behind DK and Y PR girl. That's right. I was with Elisa when when the, the first content was going out for DK mm-hmm. and Y PR girl. So. <laughs> It's exciting to see that there were these kind of like fictitious characters which have now been replaced by right. true influencers. Yeah, it's crazy. So when did you make the jump from uh, your dream job to DBA? Um, so in between dream job and, and DBA, I went to a marketing agency where oh, okay. I was doing sponsorship sales and I EP'd a show for NBC and I really started to understand kind of the intersection between brand, influencer, talent, um, branded integration and mm-hmm. learned really about media. Yeah. Um, so I helped edit that show. I helped produce that show. I got was, down into, you got into the muck and did everything. Huh? 100% yeah. and had to teach myself a lot. Yeah. Um, and then I, I had, you know, heard about DBA and mm. I remember the first meeting thinking, wow, this is, you know, the wild, wild West. Is this, is this going to be a thing? Yeah. And I joined DBA as the first manager. Number one, huh? Yeah, building out the fashion and beauty portfolio of clients. And that was almost nine years ago. That's crazy. And since then, you've had a variety of roles. Yeah. Ending up now with your... So now I lead our brand partnerships Mm -hmm. division at DBA. And that's one of the things I've loved about my role at DBA is that as our company has grown and evolved and expanded to include other practices, all really that do support influencer, I've got to have my hands in that. Mm So, you know, the whole impetus behind launching brand partnerships really was to show that there was an opportunity for DBA to really be a true, not only leader as we've had already established, but a resource for brands and agencies and buyers and marketers as they were trying to figure out what talent to work with, how to navigate this space of digital influencer, you know, what is a, what is a KPI? What is it earned media value? What is a conversion rate? And really our team was meant to be that resource for brands to help create a awareness on an industry, but really help streamline the process of how brands are running multi-faceted, multi-influencer campaigns within DBA. Yeah. And so interesting because there was, you're obviously building a business, but there's also a huge educational element as well. 
and that's a bit on you. You're trying not only to convince something, some brands and retailers that, hey, this is a growing industry, but also spend money with us. Absolutely. And that has changed significantly. You know, it's really about trying to figure out what the value is and how are you going to get somebody to agree to a partnership? So mm-hmm. at the beginning of DBA, we didn't have we didn't have data. We had Google Analytics for blogs. We did not have any conversion data. We didn't didn't have swipe up data. So we were leading with what was the talent and the skill of the influencer and how could that make sense within a brand's budget. So if they were shooting a lookbook, maybe the influencer is the photographer or the model or the stylist. And they were able to understand that value. Now it's vastly different. The conversations we are having are not only around engagement rate, which is something that I can't even, I can't count how many times a day I say it, but you know, what's the, what's the conversion? And then really, um, you know, something that's very challenging to measure is what's the halo effect. If you're partnering with a certain influencer who has a million followers, they may not be the top converting talent, but working with them is going to provide lift for your brand. And, you know, the same thing, you know, the challenge that we had in PR trying to show the value, there's no way to put a value behind a, a billboard in Times Square. Yes, you can get the, the media value and how many eyeballs are seeing that, but you have no idea how many people went and actually purchased that, you know, express product from seeing Negan's ad in right. Times Square. Yeah. And it's interesting because one of the pieces of feedback that the influencer industry always gets is, well, you can't measure everything. That's the same in traditional media as well. Like you can tell how many households are going to get a magazine. You can estimate how many people are going to see a billboard, but it's really hard to measure the actual impact in terms of sales for that. So this problem is no different. Actually, I'd argue in many cases, it's easier to measure impact because you have swipe up, you have data, you have conversion rates, you have Google Analytics. You don't have any of that for some of the traditional media outlets. Is that something you'd agree with? I I completely agree. And I think that you know, we're able to get more granular now. So Mm -hmm. if we're talking to a luxury brand, we're able to see, you know, who has potential, whose audience responds to luxury products when they post them. Who is going to say, I love those Stuart Weitzman boots versus why are you posting those Stuart Weitzman Weitzman boots? I would never be able to afford those or pay for those. We did a campaign um, with a luxury skincare brand and they worked with probably about 10 different influencers. Um, They ranged from talent who talked about luxury brands all day long to those who were just um, maybe more right for the exact product that we were promoting. And one of the influencers posted about it and I was, I was, I was, cautiously optimistic about what the response was going to be. And, sure. I, and I remember looking at the comments and they were all so positive, but her audience is definitely more of an affordable price point type of consumer. And they're probably not out buying luxury beauty products. Maybe they'll save and splurge, but every comment was like, wow, I love this product. I'm so excited. You actually get to work with this brand. Like there was this rally and support behind it. So I also think it really depends on the influencer and kind of, you know, how they're able to translate that to their audience. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes this industry so hard. It's also what makes it so interesting because you can find diamonds in the rough where you wouldn't expect them, right? And a lot of people, I think, and you probably have dealt with more than your fair share of these folks think, hey, it is still the wild, wild west. In many cases, like, it's it's different in terms of how wild it is nine years ago versus today, but it's still very much developing. It's not, I'd say we're still in the first or second inning of a very long kind of process and and growth process. So I think that's really interesting because you can find diamonds in the rough, but it's also really hard. And I think a lot of people are popping up and saying, I'm an expert 
at running influencer campaigns and they're not. I mean, how much of that do you see? So much of what we do is educational and even brands that may work with it influencers consistently. As you said, things change so quickly. We were working on a campaign and next thing you know, we get a contract and it says Lincoln bio for 24 hours. And that was never discussed. It was not part of the scope of work. We had never talked about the link, the Lincoln bio. And when we pushed back, the response was, well, we did a program three months ago with DBA and Lincoln bio was included. I'm like, well, now we do swipe up on Instagram. So <laughs> the Lincoln bio, you know, that's something that our talent you know, necessarily doesn't do anymore. So you can't assume that a practice that you may have adopted two weeks ago yeah. is something that mm-hmm. hasn't been replaced with maybe something that's better for your brand. Mm-hmm. They then, after the campaign, saw all of the swipe ups way more than they ever would have seen on a LinkedIn bio. And now that practice has been adopted. But I feel like you can't rely on what you did three months ago, two months ago to build out the campaigns that you're looking at. And did you ever, when you started nine years ago at DBA, did you envision the industry getting this big this quickly? Long pause. <laughs> um, you know, I oh, I knew right away that there was, there was something there. And we yeah. saw that brands um, were looking at influencer, that they started to see the value in it. But I think really at as the evolution of of my career and the evolution of DBA, there's always been this expansion of other areas of our business that focus on influencer, but may not be tied to what that brand partnership is. So we launched DBP, which is our products and licensing division, all focused on building out brands rooted as um, rooted with influencers, grounded with influencers. So whether that's fashion brands um, at Nordstrom, whether that's an air fryer at Amazon, whether that is a jewelry brand or homeware, building brands that are really rooted with influencer. Um, Then we launched Your Media, which is a podcast network, which is all really rooted with, you know, the voices being influencer. Mm -hmm. So I think we may not have known or, or, or saw that there was going to be this huge like brand opportunity, but we, we quickly saw that there was an opportunity to turn influencers into more traditional type of talent. And everything that we've done at DBA has really been pushing towards that trajectory. I think that's really interesting. So Talk to us a little bit about your criteria for bringing on talent to having them as clients. What are some of the things that you look for? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, as we look at talent, there's definitely not a one size fits all when we're looking at, you know, the new dream talent of DBA. Each manager builds out their own portfolio of clients. So really- Oh, really? So it's individualized? Yes. Oh, there's not a top-down approach necessarily? There isn't. So there, I mean- That's really cool. You know, there's Slack channels that we're talking about prospects and, you know, certain certain team members be like, oh my gosh, I love her. I'm passionate about her. I already follow her. There's no like mandate down, like here's a person we must sign, like let's go sign them. Um, The approach is really, and and there's always a support from, you know, every team within DBA, but the manager at the heart of it really must be passionate about who the talent is because that relationship is the most important thing in any, you know, talent manager relationship. So really the first thing is like, do we, do we, are we passionate? Do we see that there is is, you know, something bigger beyond what this talent is already doing. Mm-hmm. Is there a product? Is there TV? Is there books? Um, how are we building a bigger brand outside of just doing sponsored Instagram all day, every day? <laughs> right. Really, how do, we, how yeah. do we add value? And how do we create something that will live on beyond just an Instagram? And so, so what are some of the qualities that you look for in the talent that, 
kind of gives you the indication that they're going to be something more than just a Instagram sponsored post machine. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, looking at the data and the analytics, you know, being able to really see how their, how their audience is engaging with content, how the, how the, the audience is engaging with products that they're doing, projects that they're doing, that will give us an indication that maybe the, the audience wants to purchase a product that they would develop. Um, are they creating unique and interesting content? We don't want to sign 150 fashion bloggers who are all taking the same shot on the same street corner in New York City. Right. We want talent who are creating amazing, diverse, different type, um, you know, different types of content and that are, that they're still excited about what they're doing because if they're at a point in their career where maybe they actually don't want to go take the photos anymore and they don't want to create the content, that makes our job a little bit more challenging because yeah. if they're not creating the content, how are we supposed to strategize and, um, you know, look at a longer term brand if yeah. the content's not being created you right can't now. You do the work that you want to do for them because they're not interested or they're losing interest. And they have to want to, this is a hard business. There is so much. I can I attest see to you, that. I see, I, I see Rich nodding. And I mean, like we know from Mary, there's, there's, and just, you know, Mary just had a baby. Yeah. You know, work doesn't stop. We're still messaging her about opportunities right. that, you know, she needs to shoot and edit. Yeah. She can't be like, oh, I'm going to go on mat leave for three months. That's, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's not the way this business works. No. And, you know, just because you sign with a manager or you build a team doesn't mean at the end of the day that you can stop doing the work. No. Um, more than ever, your job becomes more challenging because now you're managing a team and you're building a team and, you know, you're you're managing these partnerships. You're designing a line. You're mm-hmm. going through the launch of the line. Now you have to travel. How are you answering those emails? Like, There's so much work that goes into it that on the outside, you know, everybody talks about how now in college, influencer marketing, you know, is now a... Uh, I'm sorry, that being an influencer is now the new job or that you can major in being an influencer right. or, mm-hmm. or major in being a YouTuber. But there's so much work that goes into it that yeah. it's it's not as easy as many think. And it's a 24-hour job. Like once you start creating consistent content, um, real day-in-the-life content that your audience wants to see, as soon as you go dark and you go dark for a week, you fall outside of that grid and you fall outside of the algorithm. So it's really an always-on and it's really hard and it is a lot yeah. of work, but yeah. there's and definitely that's a lot just of the work. content piece, right? Yeah. I mean, you're not even talking about the business building piece. You're not talking about managing your finances. You're not, you're not talking about invoicing. You're not talking about all of the nitty gritty stuff, stuff that we try to help people with at Trove, but it's just 24 seven. Imagine having to execute on all of these contracts, read them, say yes or no. Obviously you guys help your talent with that. But if you're, if you're independent and you're looking to get signed, that's what you're still doing. Yeah. It's incredible. How do you manage the shift in terms of trends? So for instance, TikTok really hot right now, podcasts really tech. You guys have dear media suit. How do you manage weathering the trends, figuring out where to double down. And maybe we can talk a little bit about Dear Media and why you guys decided to double down there, how you're pushing the envelope there. Yeah, we definitely, I mean, Dear Media is a really great example. And we've definitely seen um, a shift towards advertising in audio. Mm -hmm. And with Dear Media, you know, the same thing when you think about what we did with the, you know, bloggers back in the day, the first way that bloggers monetized their sites were through banner ads. Now I feel like you're, you're, you'd be challenged to go find a banner ad on an influencer site more 
so on the food sites, you will. Um, but for the most part, lifestyle and fashion influencers do not have any banner ads on those sites. That Those advertising dollars moved over to native, native advertising, then they turned over to brand endorsements, and they did, turned over to hosting events and paid social. So really, the same thing that happened with the, the blogger side is what we're doing in audio. How many times do you hear... This 30 seconds brought brought to you by, you know, insert brand and there's no authenticity. And what we're doing with your media is really looking and changing the way brands are advertising. How is the talent who is, you know, the, the podcaster, how are they talking about the brand? How is that translating to digital and to social? Uh, Skinny Confidential is a great example. She's had over 50 million downloads. Her and her husband, Michael, are hilarious on their podcast. And mm-hmm. they've worked with Thrive Market and for Thrive, it's not just this 30-second spot brought to you by. She's curated her favorite products from Thrive so that when you go on Thrive, you can see her whole kind of cabinet of her favorite products. She's talked about it on social. She's talked about it on her blog. It's very much more a 360 advertising play versus just a 30-second spot brought to you by. And looking at live events and experiential, we did a big event with The Grove, and that was about bringing podcasts to real life. So Mm -hmm. it's really exciting to see the shift in audio. It's definitely at the, you know, I feel like the infancy of how brands can really, you know, capture that audience. But that's been exciting. That's really, really unique. It's fun to think about too. And and one of the great things is that you have this talent who are creative. And so you give them a medium and you just see what they do with it. And it's fun to see them push the envelope and change things because you're right. Like this is not a 30 second spot on a TV show on ABC. This is, hey, I'm talking about a brand that I really love and that I really use. By the way, we've incorporated this amazing on their website, our website, whatever. And it's it's unique. Not everybody can do that because these are more than talking heads. They're people that you know, the general population is attracted to on a daily basis. Yeah. And they want to hear their stories. They want to hear their voices. And I mean, it's really also about it being organic and authentic partnerships. Like Mm -hmm. we're never going to have one of our clients who's, you know, vegan, vegan, hawking meat products or, or somebody who, you know, would. Unless it's beyond me, right? (laughs) Exactly. I I used an example the other day and I'm like, wait, I don't know if that example works anymore. Um, But really it's important that, that the audience thinks, oh wait, actually like I could see her sleeping on that, you know, sleepies mattress, or I could see her taking those ritual vitamins. Mm -hmm. Like there has to be that connection between Mm -hmm. the audience and the talent. But how do you decide to go in on something like podcasting versus not making a misstep, right? Because there are trends, there are fads. You look at something like Vine, for instance, really big for a minute, no longer around, but has spawned all these amazing influencers. How do you, how do you kind of manage and figure out where you're going to double down? Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely a thoughtful approach. You look at the growth that we've had within the video and the YouTube space. At the early days of DBA, we were much more, you know, blogger, Instagrammer, influencer heavy. And over the past few years, we've made an intentional effort to build our our YouTube practice. So that meant, you know, hiring amazing team members at DBA, bringing in a new head um, and VP of YouTube, and then really looking at the talent who makes sense for that vertical. For sure. So it wasn't necessarily like, let's just go like launch this YouTube practice 
practice, it was very thoughtful in the way that we did it. Yeah. Um, you know, we look at other other platforms like TikTok and it's something that, you know, I can't make it to 10 a.m. in the morning without having three conversations around TikTok and whether that's just all us trying to navigate like what is this crazy platform and what are we watching to really how are brands going to activate on the platform? What does pricing look like? What does engagement look like? What are the metrics? And mm-hmm. all of those were really kind of learning as we go, but that's something that we're really excited in. And, you know, one, looking at the talent that we manage and how are they maybe right for the TikTok platform and coming up with that strategy strategy and providing best practices to simultaneously looking at the talent who are already um, established on that platform and how do we see DBA being a great fit for those partnerships. And then that TikTok talent, how does a product license look? What does then live TV look? So yeah. it although we don't just like follow a trend and build it out, we're really, it, everything really goes back to rooted in the talent. So just because someone's big on TikTok, are, is there a talent? Is there something that we can create a brand around? Export, yeah, yeah. Into, a, into a brand. And when you're talking to influencers about these trends, how do you advise them? Because Somebody might be big on Instagram, Pinterest, and their blog, but TikTok's big. You can't spread yourself too thin. There are too many social platforms to do them all, right? Agreed. So how do you how do you help your talent prioritize? And what advice do you give them when you have things like TikTok blowing up? Yeah, I mean, so much of what we do as managers goes back to the strategy and to their brand strategy and how is their audience consuming their content? What is the type of content that they're really excited about that they want to produce? Because it's very challenging for us to be like, oh, great, you should go sign up on TikTok and start doing videos five times a week. And they're like, but wait, like I just, I don't really, you know, the whole music side, I'm really not into it. So that, that that's like putting a, a circle in a square. So I think that there has to be one, like, is the audience going to translate? Are they passionate about whatever type of content now they need to either syndicate or actually create new for that platform? Um, and it's definitely not a one size fits all. We see the same thing with our talent who are native to more blog and social, who look at, at YouTube as this very daunting, time consuming, energy consuming, consuming opportunity and maybe their time and energy is better spent, you know, evolving video content on their Instagram channel. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's challenging and that's why it's really important to have good guidance because you could get distracted very easily and try to do too many things and sink the ship. Yeah. And you know, there's, again, we go back to how much work goes into it. So you think that they just post a blog post and they syndicate that to social. So within that, they're laying layering in their, and this is all post-production, they're laying right. in their affiliate links. They're making sure that it's SEO optimized. There's so much that goes into that content that once it goes live, that every platform that launches and comes in like, and says, just like they can just syndicate the content. Like, no, like they're already producing so much content on so many places. Like I have to have a huge value, prop, value proposition to my talent and to our client mm-hmm. to show why they should be using this platform. Not only that, even within platforms, the, the mediums are different. Yeah. You think about Instagram, a feed post very different than stories, very different than IGTV, right? So you have this, it's the same platform, different mediums, and it, it's a very different approach. So it's, it's fascinating. Now, let's shift gears a little bit here. We're talking a lot about all these platforms. Obviously, this is a huge industry. How does an influencer stand out today? 
they have to have a unique point of view. It goes back to what I was saying. You can't be, you can't look like every other girl that's creating content on on the internet. You have mm-hmm. to have a unique point of view. You have to have a unique humor. Like I think Mary does an amazing job. Like she's <laughs> so funny, and like yeah. people know that they can go to her for just like that pure entertainment. And she's have- actually funnier in real life too. Like I'm constantly in stitches, but. And yeah. also, if you need to know anything about licorice, you go to Mary and, like, you're all set. <laughs> That's right. Um, but, like, you, like, there has to be, like, what's the value in it for the – and, again, I talk all the time about what's the value in it for the brand, but what's the value in it for the audience? Yeah. Are they going to your channel to feel inspired? Are they going to your channel to be entertained? Are they going because they know that they need a recipe or they, you know, need to get the next pair of, you know – black boots like what are they going to and then how are you providing that back to them and I feel like as the audience when you scroll through a feed or you see someone's stories you almost want to know you almost want to be able to know who it is that you're looking at before you actually have to see a name Mm -hmm. so whether that's a certain color hue that they use but then you don't want to be like every other influencer using that color hue because then you don't stand out and you're not unique you're the girl using the other girl's color hue. Right, um, exactly. Mm-hmm, and yeah. coming up with series, I think that that is a great idea because then you're creating, you know, content that your audience knows that they can go, you know, every Monday at one o'clock and see a certain piece of content or a certain series or, they, or they're they going to see the Monday memo. Like right. there's a way to create also a thread of content that keeps your audience coming back at certain times. And that's the beautiful thing about the space. There's so much opportunity. And so you can be creative and always looking for people to push the envelope. But at what point do you start looking for a manager? Getting back to DBA, when do I as an influencer say, listen, I need some help. And and, and one of those pieces is having a manager. Yeah. I mean, I think that as you're building your brand and you've nailed that you can execute a brand campaign, that you have a vision, that you have your your content strategy down, that you're posting consistently, that you're starting to see consistent incoming requests from brands for paid partnerships. Not every brand wants to gift you in exchange for a post because at that point, like you're still at the level where you can do those opportunities for trade. When management really comes in is when there's an opportunity to build a bigger brand. It's time to find somebody to partner on that with and that you need to scale and build a team. And being an influencer can really feel like you are are in a silo and that you're working by yourself. You know, eventually you, you know, hire a photographer, um, you hire somebody to edit, you have somebody that's helping manage your calendar. Like you start to build up a team and a manager you should really look at as an extensional part of your team. Like a manager is not a staffing agency. A manager is really meant to be a partner as you're building and growing your brand, but there has to be, you have, you have to have had something established already and know that you're already doing the things, but a manager can really help you to get you to the next level. So what is it? Talk to me a little bit about what does a good manager do for you? A good manager, I think first and foremost goes back to you have a really great relationship with them. You trust them. They trust you. You know that they have, you know that they, and I heard this the other day, um, our CEO was talking and she said, just assume that there's positive intent. You with your manager should assume that there's always positive intent and mm-hmm. that the opportunity that they're bringing you, that they've done their due diligence on their side and they've looked at what that partnership is. Who else is a part of that partnership? What is, you know, so much is 
so much more beyond than what's the budget for the partnership goes into these projects. Like you want to know who you're going to be aligned with. You want to know what's the usage, what's the, what's the exclusivity. So building a relationship where you genuinely trust each other and that you know that the manager really has your best intentions at heart Mm -hmm. and somebody who is going to push you and challenge you and maybe make you step outside of your comfort zone and think about a strategy in a different way. Because as managers, we're having conversations with brands and agencies all day, every day on behalf of other talent as well. So we have a much bigger understanding of the influencer landscape versus possibly influencer living in their silo. Right. So So they give you, obviously, they have the relationship with you. The manager will bounce ideas off of you. They will help negotiate contracts, take some of that off your plate. They'll also give you a look at the broader landscape because, again, sometimes you lose the forest for the trees. Um, And how do you, the first thing out of your mouth was there has to be that good relationship. You've said that twice now. So as an influencer, if I'm looking to find a manager, what are the two or three questions or what are the things I'm digging in on to figure out if this is going to be a good fit? Yeah. I mean, I think that communication style is one of the first things that you should align on. Are you somebody who wants to receive everything in one email at the end of the day? Do you want 35 emails throughout the day? The simple things, right? Yes. yes. Do you want a text? Do you want phone calls? Because different managers also have different communication styles. Like, what do you want that relation? Do you want to hear from your manager all day, every day? Or do you want that manager to be coming to you on, you know, specific times of of specific days? Um, So really aligning on what the communication style, I feel like, is one of the most important things that you should be doing when you're you're working with a manager. Um, And then making sure that the manager is in this as a partnership with you and that they are aligned on the same, you know, vision that you have and that you're able to really speak the same language when it comes to strategy. And that do your due diligence. Ask around about the manager. Ask around about the company. And, and so see- important. Most people don't do that. It's so important doing your like at references. We do, we do that with influencers right. and talent. Yeah. We're going to call up the agencies that we work with all the time and say, what have your experiences been with X influencer? You should do the same on, on both sides because not every manager has, you know, the same, same reputation. Let's talk about that for a minute because obviously this industry has boomed. A lot of people have popped up claiming to be experts in X, Y, and Z. And so there are a lot of bad managers out there, people who are, you know, even at bigger companies or people, you know, so maybe take a larger agency that's moving into the influencer space, or maybe it's an individual who said, I'm going to do this on my own. How do you avoid hiring a bad manager? And what does a bad manager look like? I I agree. Um, you know, as this space continues to evolve and grow and influencer touches every piece of a brand strategy from what is the brand doing in terms of amplifying PR? What are they doing in terms of of paid media, of driving to retail, of e-commerce? You can't sit in a strategy meeting at a brand and talk about any of those without someone saying, what do we do with influencer? So what does that mean for these other companies now? They want to figure out how they are having a piece of that revenue right. that comes with influencer. Mm-hmm. For us at DBA, it's really rooted in talent. Right. I think as an influencer is trying to, you know, pick the right company or management company, you know, thinking of thinking about really about what you want your what you want your relationship with that manager to be like. Are you going to a company where you are a small fish in a really big sea? Are you a big fish in a small sea? 
And it goes back to also doing your due diligence and having conversations, asking your peers, asking the brands that you work with, um, you know, what have those experiences been working with those different companies, but also what is your energy like with the manager that you're signing with? Like the thing about our relationship with our talent is that it's so much more than just a transaction. We're so invested in them as people in their lives. We attend their baby showers. We're at their weddings. We're there to celebrate their lives, you know, the most exciting moments in their lives. And also when shit hits the fan, like we're there to help them. And whether it's their fault or not their fault, we are always going to have our talents back and we are going to support them and help them get through whatever challenge that is. And if that means, you know, canceling a program or getting out of a contract or shifting a date and, and protecting that talent, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. I think it's so interesting because a good management team or a good manager can completely shift your business in a positive direction and change your growth trajectory and open your eyes up to different opportunities. And a bad manager can do the opposite and just drive your business into the ground. And so when you're thinking about being managed, I think that the number one thing that you said was do your diligence, Mm -hmm. ask around. Reputations, are hard to come by and good reputations are the hardest to come by. Bad reputations are easy to come by, I guess. Um, but do, don't, and don't be afraid. If people are not willing to give you references, that should be a red flag. And I think that's really important. Um, and make sure you meet them in person. Yeah, like you yeah. should, I mean, this should I be. I should go without saying, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you do have to date. Like there has to be a first date before you of get, course. before you get married. But yeah. you know, there's some clients that, you know, DBA, you know, it may have taken years for DBA to, to sign. And, and we had to get really comfortable with each other. And that took who knows how many meetings with all the division, different divisions that takes them seeing us at, you know, every industry event that there is, mm-hmm. um, you know, meeting with all of the partners, like there's a lot that goes into that dating, yeah. that dating process. Yeah. It's not just, Hey, you've got good numbers. Let's you know no. work together. It's like, are you a good fit? Yeah. You know, personally, are you a good fit with the brand? Are you a good fit with DBA? There's so many questions that come into play. It's a two-way decision also. Oh, 100%. If the manager is not asking you any questions, that's also a red flag. If they're not actually asking how many story views you're getting or, you know, what were the most successful brand partnerships in the past or what were, you know, brands that you would never want to work with. If if the manager's not asking these fundamental questions that have to do with your everyday business, that's also a red flag. Yeah. Let's talk really quickly about the biggest mistakes that you see influencers making and the biggest mistakes you see brands making vis-a-vis influencer marketing. The biggest mistake that I see influencers making is maybe not looking at everything as a full picture. Okay. Us being in marketing, we know what goes into these influencer partnerships. We know that they're aligned with product launches. We know that those product launches have certain dates that the product must launch. We know that the level of approvals to get the budget approved to promote that launch now has, you know, gone through five different layers that maybe ended up on a CEO's desk. We know how much that goes into a partnership. And I feel like sometimes influencers, they may only see or know what the the information that they're being given, and they don't know that it's necessarily part of a, a big strategy or, you know, ecosystem within influencer marketing. So I think that for influencers to really understand the influencer marketing space as a whole and not stay as much in their, in their silo as like this one Instagram, I'm just going to post and, the, and then I'm done. Like it, it's a much larger piece of the puzzle and just really being educated on, you know, the industry as, as a whole. Um, and the other, the other, you know, downfall that we see is influencers not evolving and not, you know, 
creating new types of content and not evolving their brand as we see, you know, Lincoln bio dropping off. Like <laughs> if they're not, if they're not willing to start doing swipe ups on, on Instagram stories, like, and they're not able to evolve with the industry that that becomes a challenge for us to be able to really position them as, you know, thought leaders and being, you know, the, the best influencer that they are. Sure. What about brands? What mistakes are they making? Oh, there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think that for brands really understanding how much goes into the content that they're receiving from an influencer and that influencers are also people and I feel like that gets lost in it because mm-hmm. kind of going back to those programmatic ads on blogs, <laughs> yeah. like you don't, I mean, yes, the influencer may have had some carve out categories for those ads that are running on the blogs, but the influencer didn't have to create any content for that ad. They didn't have to push a button for when that ad was going live. They didn't have to worry if it was like raining and they needed to shoot that ad. It was much more programmatic. And at the end of the day, influencers, as much as they are media and their conversion and their engagement, they're also people and their talent and things happen and maybe they can't shoot that piece of content today. So... I think really making sure that brands understand that influencers are people and that they also understand how much work these people are doing to create this content. And it's not so easy to just go reshoot the content. Yeah, absolutely. I think (laughs) it's incredibly frustrating when people can just reshoot that, you know, shouldn't take more than a minute. I don't think you understand how this works. (laughs) Exactly. Um, From an influence or from your perspective as somebody who's constantly working with brands and influencers, what makes your pitch to a brand for an influencer easy? What makes it the shortest possible conversation where a brand says, oh, yeah, absolutely, 100%, they should be in, we need to pay them? What is, what makes that easy? I think it really depends on who the brand is and what their KPI is and what their goal is. And I guess that's also another mistake that brands make is when they aren't able to articulate that, you know, pushing through the right influencer to have that aha moment's really challenging because we're kind of like throwing stuff at the wall, the wall. It's like, and also if they don't know what their budget is, like that's also a challenge because they may come to us and say, I don't know what my budget is. And I say, okay, well, do you have a hundred thousand dollars for a program or for one person? Oh, no, no, no. We definitely don't. And we get down and we find out that they have $5,000. That's a very different aha moment than a hundred thousand dollars. But for us, like, I want to know what those goals and objectives are that the brand has. And then for us on the brand partnership side, we um, are part of all of the talents onboarding. So we meet them, we know them. So the people mm-hmm. that I meet and I know, it's so much easier for me to go to a brand because I, again, they're, they're a person and I'm able to really use information that I've taken out of my experiences with them to really push through a partnership to make sure that they are the right fit for that brand. But if the brand can articulate what the right fit is, then that makes my job really hard. But it's all different. If somebody says that they want conversion, I'm going and I'm pulling the talent that have the highest conversion in that category, in that price point, on that platform. And that's the talent I'm pushing. If they want talent to drive, you know, EMV, I know what talent is going to drive the EMV. If they want to drive, you know, if they want to drive to events and drive people to a store, I know what talent is going to drive to the store. So I think it's really being able to make sure that you're having really honest conversations. And sometimes people think that having this gray area, like they'll be able to like pull one over on you, but that actually doesn't do us any good. (laughs) No, it doesn't do anybody any good. So be very specific about what you can offer. Yeah. Yeah. That makes your life easier. It makes the kind of brand conversations easier as well. Absolutely. Let's zoom out for a minute and talk about what this industry looks like in five years. Looking at 
this space in five years? Right now, as we talk with brands, you know, influencers are kind of put into a certain bucket or a category. There's the nanos, there's the micros, there's the macros, there's the celebrity. Influencer now kind of touches all of them. Mm -hmm. In five years, the word influencer and celebrity is going to be more blurred than ever. Whether you're working with an Ami song or, you know, a a Jessica Alba, like Jessica Alba is now an influencer. So the the, the lines of celebrity and influencer are going to be blurred. Mm -hmm. You're going to see more influencers on the floor at Nordstrom. You're going to see more influencers, books on the floor at, Barnes and Noble or, <laughs> or, or, or Apple, Apple right. yeah. downloads, yeah. A- Amazon, Kindle. Yes. Yeah. Right. Amazon top, you know, top publisher list. Right. Yeah. Um, you're going to see influencers that have really built brands outside of just, of, influ- of just outside of Instagram and digital and social influencers are going to be launching brands, investing in brands. We're already seeing that where our clients are now launching, you know, completely new verticals of their business. And it's going to be less this, you need to check off an influencer box or you must work with this type or category of influencer. It's just going to be a natural progression of how you're building out your marketing strategy. Yeah. No, I think that's absolutely, I think that you're already starting to see that line being blurred and there was an article in the Wall Street Journal um, uh, two, a week and a half ago, October 20th, I think it was, talking about the demise of influencers and this, that, and the other thing. And uh, it, it continues to amaze me that people still say that. I remember in 2013 when they were saying that about bloggers. But the reality is we're people at the end of the day and we like watching and interacting with other people and that's never going to go away. Yeah, I mean, you think about traditional media and streaming and and television yeah. and how that has changed, and and you would have never thought that these streaming platforms would, you know, have higher higher viewership or ratings than right. kind of mm-hmm. the regular media. Right. Yeah. Now it's more interesting to to watch the Emmys for what Netflix and Amazon Prime are doing yeah. as opposed to traditional, you know, networks. Yeah. Yeah. It's fan fantastic. Well, Risa, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been wonderful to have you. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Risa for joining us today on the podcast. Always a pleasure to talk to her. And and really quickly, I want to recap a few of the things that we talked about, a few things that she actually shared with us. The first thing is, I think you can take a lot from Risa's experience, not just what she's done at DBA, but actually how she ended up at DBA. She saw the industry changing around her while she was in PR, and she just didn't sit around and wait for better days and hope it would get better or complain about what was happening. She went out and sought out who was making and, and creating change in the industry. Where was the industry going? And that's how she found influencers. And actually back in the day, they were called bloggers. And so she saw that's where the industry was going. And so she sought out that change. So don't sit around and wait for opportunities to come to you. Look at where the industry is going. Think about your skill set and what you have to offer and go get it. I think that was an incredible illustration of how to create your own career path when you might be in an industry or you might be in a company that's floundering. The second thing I want to talk about is what she mentioned about standing out as an influencer. The two things that she mentioned were being unique and being passionate. Your passion comes through even over social media, and it allows people to get excited about what you're talking about. And then also on the unique front, you might see a lot of people doing certain things, following certain trends. Don't feel like you have to do that. Stand out, create your own niche, and build your unique audience and community. That's what will set you apart from other influencers, not just following all the same trends. 
And the last thing I want to mention is what Risa talked about around working with more brands and retailers. And that's being very specific about what you can offer. Don't hide from anything. Don't try to obscure analytics or obscure this or obscure that. Be very open and honest and confident about what you bring to the table because you're not going to pull one over on people. They're going to dig and they're going to get to the right answers. And if you've been obscuring something, it's going to look badly on you. It's going to harm your reputation. It's a self-selecting process. And in the end, it'll save you time, effort, headache, and actually could bolster your reputation if you're very specific and honest about what you can bring to a brand. And so think about that in the context of what you're building. And in your next conversation, think about and and explicitly say what you can bring to the table. I think that's very important. And it will do wonders for not only your peace of mind, but also the number of brands you work with and the depth of the relationship you're able to create with them. So for all this and more, make sure you head over to our website, trovebusiness.com. We have everything you could ever need to run your business more efficiently. So thanks again to Risa for joining us today in Influencer Business. And for all this and a whole lot more, make sure you head over to trovebusiness.com for everything you could ever need to help you run your business more efficiently. And as always, a big shout out to Pete Krimi, who always helps us sound better over the podcast than we do in person. And I'm your host, Rich Gudelari. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.